Hi, everyone. This is Ellie McNevin, founder of Birdie Public Relations, and you're listening to PR Adjacent, the podcast that brings you behind-the-scenes conversations with our business development BFFs. We bring in experts to answer the most common questions we get from clients about growing businesses beyond PR, covering everything from product manufacturing to brand imagery and even website design. But it wouldn't be a Birdie podcast without occasionally talking about PR itself, because it only makes sense that as your business grows, your PR strategy grows with it. This episode was originally recorded as an Instagram Live for Birdie Public Relations on November 5th, 2021. We got a lot of great feedback from our Instagram Live series, but people wanted to be able to access the conversations more readily. So we listened and turned them into a podcast. Without knowing it, these early episodes that we're now calling season one were the first chapter in our past to podcasting. And I'm so grateful to these guests for being willing to share their expertise with our Instagram followers and now podcast listeners. This conversation goes into PR strategy a bit more specifically. I have uh, Caitlin Hill joining from CNC Consulting, and Caitlin works with uh, a lot of interior designers, and I kind of describe her world as, you know, she's really the liaison between the creativity and the beauty um, that the designers are so focused on, and then the operations and execution of, you know, bringing a project to the world. So Caitlin is joining us. She's going to be talking a little bit about prepping your brand for PR and putting it out into the world. And then we also have joining us Emma Bazilian and Emma. And Emma and I never actually crossed paths when I was working at House Beautiful. I left a little bit before she came on board there. Um, But at House Beautiful was where she coined the term Grand Millennial. And so we thank Emma for so aptly describing, uh, you know, so many of our styles. But Emma now is at Frederick Magazine, which is um, produced by Schumacher. And so she's going to join us and let us know everything we need to know about Frederick Magazine and kind of what to keep in mind as you're trying to think about getting a project published. She's going to give us a few little secrets and and, uh, tricks of the trade. So I'm going to go ahead and bring these amazing ladies into the room. I see that Caitlin is here. I think I also have Emma. Hi, Caitlin. Good morning. Hello. Hi, Emma. Hi. How are you? We, ha- we figured it all out. This is my first time doing a live yes. with three. So the fact that we're all on, I'm, I'm so proud of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Same. Thank you so guys both for being here. Absolutely. So excited about our conversation today. So as you were joining, I was kind of giving everyone a little bit of insight into your backgrounds. Um, but before we dive in, I thought you could each kind of tell a little bit more about the, the work that you do. So Caitlin, will you, will you give us a little bit of more insight into your work, please? Of course. Uh, And thank you again for having us. This is so fun. Thank you. Um, So I run a consultancy and my clients will typically come to me if they're in some sort of crossroads moment with their business, right? So maybe it's an interior designer that's leaving a larger firm and trying to kind of navigate the waters of, you know, being self-employed and understanding kind of best practices and how to really ramp up their business. Um, maybe it's just a company that's in hyper growth mode and they're looking for counsel. Uh, typically also it would be a client that comes to me to kind of help execute a specific creative project. So, um, maybe it's a client that wants to rebrand or redevelop the website. Um, they have sort of this clear vision of what they're looking to achieve. But what I have found is that they often lack sort of the comprehension to understand 
timeline and financial considerations and what sort of resources to bring on to execute. And so I'm really kind of the the person behind the the curtain, the steward of that brand Mm -hmm. to help build the strategy, manage those expectations, bring on the applicable resources, and then of course, execute. Um, And the goal of course is for the client to really spend their time on high level, big picture, you know, generating revenue for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really is all about putting your best foot forward, which I think is just perfect for the context of our conversation today. That's right. Yes. And you come from the operations world. I mean, that was your world kind of before starting your consultancy. Yes. I feel like I had a former life. I um, <laughs> lived out in San Francisco for a few years and kind of did the stereotypical startup life. I worked on an operations team out there and um, also worked in a private equity company, which was just the level of sophistication and standard, you know, the bar was just so high. I slept with my Blackberry under my pillow every night. And, you know, it was just, it was a whole different world. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, but I mean, I think you bring that into, you know, the work that you do now with interior designers, which is so special. So I'm excited. I'm excited for them to hear more about sort of your work. Thanks. And Emma, um, so I gave a little bit of an intro into your work. And, you know, I was saying, unfortunately, we didn't ever cross paths at House Beautiful, but that's where you were before now coming to Frederick. But tell us a little bit about Frederick and, and your role there. What do we need to know? So Frederick is, it was formerly known as the Bulletin, which was Schumacher's kind of glossy um, magazine that we would feature new collections in and, you know, just also house tours, um, trends, all that kind of stuff. And early this year, we rebranded to Frederick. And the idea has really been to kind of build this brand as you know, not just an arm of Schumacher, but really its own independent editorial publication. So Mm -hmm. we've, you know, been staffing up. We have, you know, Dara uh, Caponegro, who um, was the editor-in-chief of Veranda and was the founders of uh, Domino, is our editor-in-chief. And she's just incredible. And she's built this great team of, you know, a lot of editorial veterans, but also kind of, you know, younger up-and-coming people from within Schumacher, who she's kind of handpicked to help run this magazine. So it's just been really exciting, you know, especially after being at Hearst for a few years and working for these really big brands that have been around forever to you know, work in what is essentially like a, being treated like a startup magazine. And, you Great. know, there's really, there's every issue is different. There's, you know, we have recurring columns and features, but, you know, the great thing about having a tiny team and just kind of learning as we go is that every issue we can really kind of, you know, mold around what we're interested in and change and kind of grow as we see fit. And you just have a new issue out, which is beautiful. Yes. It's stunning. Our fall issue just came out. Yes. Oh, so good. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. So we are going to talk about a few things today, um, but I do want to frame that this conversation is really specifically geared toward interior designers. Um, and as that is the world that, you know, Caitlin is in and uh, we're talking about shelter magazines for the most part. So let's kind of start from the beginning. If someone has just finished their first project, you know, and they have it photographed and ready to go, um, you know, what are the next steps? I mean, I know for me, usually if someone is coming to me as a publicist, we'll look at the project together and kind of decide, you know, what sort of style it is and, you know, who it might be appropriate to pitch to. But I also, you know, my goal is is thinking about, you know, 
which editors might really appreciate, you know, the design that's involved, but also for the clients, who are they trying to reach? You know, if, if a certain client is really trying to get more business in their area and for maybe they're in Atlanta, then maybe we're going to really focus some on some Atlanta outlets. You know, if they're really saying, hey, I would like to get more projects nationally or international or whatever it is, you know, if it's a fit for a national publication, then we're going to look there and try to think about it that way. So there is a lot of strategy that goes into it. But I think the first step is kind of thinking about if I want press around this, you know, who, where am I seeing similar type of work and, you know, who might really be interested in this? But one of the questions that we talked about, Emma, was, you know, does it need to be a full project? Do you always need to send a full home project, you know, when you're pitching? Or if you have a really cool special room, could that live on its own ever? Yeah. So I think that's where having a good publicist who, you know, really knows these publications comes in. Depending on where you're pitching it, like I know at House Beautiful, we would often do kind of a single room or before and after single room transformation, especially for digital, but also occasionally in the magazine, whereas a magazine like Frederick is going to want kind of, you know, more of a bigger completed project. So I think you just sort of have to know, you know, like what the outlet that you're pitching to is looking for and kind of the bandwidth they have to publish things too. Mm-hmm. And then Caitlin, I mean, one of the things we were talking about is just challenges right now. We know everyone's dealing with challenges kind of in this post-COVID world we live in, which I call everything post-March 2020, post-COVID. Um, but anyway, I think, you know, we know the designers now and your your clients, Caitlin, are dealing with installs that are coming in, you know, two, three, four, five different segments. And so they're struggling with photography. And so then the question comes down to, do you need to wait to have everything completely done? Is there anything you can tease out to editors? And then if you are teasing out, do you need to have professional photography? You know, or is it something you could kind of share some scouting shots on from your phone or a nice camera? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, I would argue that I think the work really begins, you know, before the pitching, right? So, you know, a lot of discussions that I have with designers is, okay, we have XYZ project. How are we, is it, or first, can we photograph it? <laughs> do we have the permission from the client? Is it in the contract? Right. Number two, right. do we do we want to photograph it, right? Um, but, you know, I think, the work really begins as the, proj- as the project is actually in progress. And a lot of what I do is kind of assemble the action plan, right? Who are we going to hire for, for photography? Do we need a stylist? And Emma, I know you would agree, but, you know, part of my philosophy is that, you know, your photography as a designer is your everything. It is your intellectual property. It is your calling card. It is a a significant investment, but one of the most important investments you can make as a designer. And so, you know, working with a certain photographer or stylist, you know, not only does it make your photos really beautiful, but it also gives you a little bit of cachet to go to an editorial team and say, I work with XYZ photographer, I work with XYZ stylist, and the editorial team not may not necessarily be familiar with your work, but they're familiar with that photographer and that stylist. And so there's, you know, beauty, cachet, and then also, you know, a level, it sort of establishes like a level of intent. You know, you've gone the extra mile to assemble a really great 
team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of wanted to address that first. Like, I really do believe that the work begins long before that. Um, but to directly answer your question, I think, yeah, this is, this is sort of like the topic du jour. I think a lot of designers are really struggling with this. You know, as you said, installs are taking three, four, five different phases. It's not one singular, you know, magical moment where you install and then photograph. Um, and so I think with all the complexities that we've been experiencing the past, well, almost two years, the one sort of constant that we have is storytelling, right? Like back to the caveman days, you know, we'll always have storytelling. And so I think the question then becomes, how do we sort of craft the story? Can we tell this story, you know, in off duty one weekend? We just had a grand millennial article, I think a couple of weekends ago, you know, (laughs) like, do we need a whole room? Um, And so I just think it comes down to getting really creative um, in terms of what the editorial team wants to see, I probably default to Emma. I think that's a really interesting, interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so Emma, what are you guys looking for? What, I mean, what is kind of like makes it a dream project for you to see? I think what you were saying about, you know, especially when we are being pitched from a designer that we haven't heard of or haven't worked with before, knowing that they have invested in a great photographer, a great stylist, which, you know, can really be a huge investment for them. But us knowing that they are taking this very seriously and that also they just, you know, they know the kinds of people that we want to work with and they sort of share that vision with us is really important. Whereas, and Emma, I know, think too, it, yeah. it, I mean, you want to know that who you are presenting to your readers, you know, their work, someone that they might want to hire is someone that is a professional and is taking it seriously. So I think, I mean, it's not just about the level of work that you want to feature. I mean, that's important, but I think you also, I would think, want to do right by your readers and know that whoever you're putting in front of them is you've done some sort of vetting, you know, as best you can. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think it can be definitely tough for up-and-coming designers who might not necessarily be able to, you know, produce a photo shoot to the level that is something that we might publish in the magazine. But I also, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be something quite as blown out as what we might shoot ourselves. But I think just something that shows that you have, you know, the artistic eye that we're looking for and that, you know, you aren't just capable of decorating a beautiful room, but that you're capable of, you know, showing it the way that you would want it to be seen by readers and kind of creating the story around it is very important. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you were asking earlier too, like, you know, do you need professional photography or can you just take some mm-hmm. scouting shots on your iPhone? And, you know, in all honesty, if it's a designer that we've worked with a lot, that we know their work, we kind of, you know, trust their work, we are a lot likelier to be able to get some in-progress shots on an iPhone. And, you know, because we know that we can imagine what it's going to look like. Whereas mm-hmm. if it's someone new to us, like we really want to see a finished project and we want to see their full vision completed. Yes. I think that makes total sense. I mean, it's just the known versus the unknown for your purposes. And um, so I think that's, that's a really great point. The other question that I had, and I think we were talking about earlier is, you know, some publications do prefer that you provide fully styled photographed um, projects that they can run and use as pickup artwork. But then others like Frederick, I mean, you guys, I think typically prefer to shoot projects yourself. So could you speak to that a little bit? Like, should people go ahead? I mean, is it like bad if you say, Oh, we love it, but we actually want to reshoot it. That is not bad at all. If somebody says we want to run your project, but we want to reshoot it, you know, I feel like 
it can often be construed as, you know, we're saying that we didn't like your photography, but, you know, in fact, we're saying that we want to invest in this shoot because it is, you know, a big time and money commitment for us to want to reshoot something. So, you know, for us to say that we actually want to put all these, yeah, resources into it and kind of, you know, redo it through our lens is, it's definitely not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But yeah, at the same time, like you were saying, a lot of publications um, do like to receive projects that are already shot in style just, you know, for expediency, for budget sake. So having that option too is really ideal. Well, we were talking about that. I mean, like I was saying, when I was at House Beautiful and Hearst Design Group, I mean, that was different. And that was a while ago. I mean, that was seven plus years ago now. So, you know, at that point, I think they were hoping to shoot everything. That shifted a little bit. So, I mean, I think, honestly, the the takeaway here is, you know, unless you're maybe an A-list designer, it is probably very much worth investing in photography because either then the publication can run it as is, or they can see it in the best light. And then if they decide to reshoot it, that's a great compliment and an investment, you know, that they're making on your behalf. But I think at the end of the day, for most people who are probably tuning in, it is, it's the best thing for them to do to just kind of go ahead and get those photos done when we're trying to pitch a project. That's my takeaway. And even just to have them for yourself is... Right, for your portfolio. If you're showing this on your website, you want this to be the most beautiful version of the photo. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that was a really helpful tidbit um, to understand, you know, if, if someone wants to reshoot the project, you know, it's not something that you should take personal in any way and understand that that's perhaps just kind of part of the moda operandi or that is important to the publication. I think from my set of eyes, you know, I think regardless of pandemic, um, the act of pitching your work as a designer can be a very vulnerable act. You know, you've labored over these projects for months, years, especially now where you're frankly babysitting vendors and tradesmen and check, you know, the the level of complexity and, and microscopic detail that designers are having to attend to right now is insane. So when it comes time to do the pitching, frankly, most designers are exhausted. (laughs) And so I think that's really helpful to hear and to know. Um, And I guess I would ask you, you know, a question that I get a lot is, okay, the pitch has been made. How long should a designer wait to leave it on your desk or follow up? I'm just so curious to know, like, what is sort of the pipeline look like right now um, for Frederick in particular? You know, how many, yeah. how many submissions are you getting? And, and sort of like, if you could help kind of frame some expectations there. So I think honestly, that is probably the hardest part for a designer is just having endless patience because especially in a magazine like Frederick, we're only publishing three issues a year. Um, and we are also running house tours on our website and doing video, but you know, we don't necessarily have the ability to have the amount of output that, you know, a monthly publication has. So uh, when you submit a project, you know, know that if you don't hear back for a month, a couple of months, it's not, it doesn't mean that we don't like the project necessarily. And also like, you know, feel free to follow up. Obviously don't follow up every five minutes too much. You know, that's everybody drives a little crazy, but, um, you know, I, I think it's just, and it, especially, you know, in a magazine like House Beautiful, where we're getting dozens and dozens and dozens of submissions every month. It does take a while to kind of, you know, wade through everything. And, you know, some publications will have 
uh, monthly or bi-monthly meeting where they just go through all of the projects in one big chunk. Some people will look through them one at a time, but you know, it really, it does take a while. So if you don't hear back with a, yes, we're excited to publish this immediately, that's doesn't mean that we're not going to publish it. It just means that, you know, it might take some time to kind of get around to looking at it. But, you know, at the same time, we could hold on to it for a couple of months and then decide it's not for us. So, you know, it's just that that's always a possibility too. Part of the process, right? I mean, it it truly is. And I think it's a little bit different. I mean, I have clients that, you know, they are product-based clients. And so for product, it's totally different. I mean, that moves much more quickly. So in my experience, so if someone's working on a certain story for an issue, they're looking for these types of products, we know yes or no, moving on. But because home features are generally meant to be a bit evergreen, you know, unless it's like a special holiday issue or something, um, it, it, like they, it, there can be this fluidity as far as, you know, when it might, we might find the perfect spot because it also, I know, um, in other publications that I've worked with in the past, you know, you're thinking about regionally, is there a range of, you know, projects or is there one on the West coast and East coast and do they feel different? And, you know, so it also just, it depends on what else you kind of have coming up and like yeah. making sure it's kind of the perfect complement to the other homes that might be featured in that issue. Yeah. I mean, we might love a project, but you know, it has to be in the right issue where, you know, we, as you were saying, we want to have a range of styles. We want to have products in different regions. So just because we love this one project doesn't mean we necessarily will be able to put it in the next issue. It kind of, you know, it's, it's really like we're putting a puzzle together you know, yes, with every issue. Absolutely. I think that's super important to, to talk about. And I think it's important for people to know. So I'm going to say this and then I'm going to pause your questions and I'm going to ask something about Instagram. But I think it's important to people know that, I mean, it could take a year from the time that we start a conversation, you know, to seeing your project published, if it is chosen to be published. And, and this isn't a negative thing. I think it's just about setting expectations that, you know, if press is a goal for your project and, you know, specifically print press, this yeah. is just, we're just going to educate you guys a little bit about the process. So, and it's truly because of what Emma was saying, it's about finding that perfect spot and putting that puzzle together. The home might photograph best in spring or fall. And it's about, you know, really showing off the home and your project in the best possible light. So at the end of the day, it's really all to make your project sing and to make it all come together in this beautiful magazine, which you know, that's, that's why you want your project featured in the magazine is because they're doing such a good job of putting this puzzle together that makes people want to read it. So it's all this process, but I think it's important for people to kind of understand what it looks like. So I also just wanted to speak to social media, (laughs) the big question that everyone has, which is, you know, we know, I think clients know they're not supposed to be sharing things on social media. This goes for my product clients too. You know, they have a big launch coming up and they're so excited and they want to like tease it out. And there's a fine line between teasing something out and getting people excited about it and like sharing the whole thing so that by the time the launch comes, everyone feels like they've seen it. And it's the same with interiors. So, I mean, Emma, do you want to speak to that a little bit? I feel like you had some good insight while we were chatting earlier as far as like what's kind of safe to share on social media and maybe what we should hold back on. Yeah, I think that, you know, at least over the past few years, I have seen a definite shift in saying, to designers, you know, we don't want you to show any of your project. Like we want this to be brand new when we shoot it for the magazine or when we run it in the magazine. Whereas now, you know, we understand that that is part of your business is, you know, kind of showing your process and giving people a behind the scenes look into what you're doing. And it's not always reasonable to expect that every project we see in a magazine will be like brand new to everyone in the world. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think it is important to 
like you're saying, understand that line between kind of teasing out a project and, you know, not wanting to run a project that we feel like we've already seen the entire thing on Instagram. So, uh, you know, I love to see designers post kind of um, progress shots or, you know, behind the scenes or details of a project or inspiration behind a project. But, you know, if we feel like we have seen, like, especially if it's the same images that you are pitching us to run in a magazine or on our website, if we feel like we've seen those all over social media before, that is definitely going to, you know, make us think twice about whether we need to be running this in the magazine because, you know, we do like to run things that feel new and special and yeah. I mean, that's what drives people to read the magazine, that they're feeling like they're seeing all these beautiful things that they haven't seen before. So I think that makes total sense. We were talking about it earlier. I personally, I know when I'm following interior designers, I love to see like a little bit of their day to day, you know, kind of what did they do? They're at the workroom, they're picking out this fabric. It helps me to understand their eye and, you know, the aesthetic choices they're making without really giving away full projects necessarily. And like I know, um, Tilton Fenwick, they just shared this gorgeous sofa that they did. And I think it was actually just like a studio shot from the worker, but it wasn't even installed. But, you know, people were really engaging with this photo and it was really fun to see people's reaction. But to me, and, you know, Emma, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it gave away anything about the project. It was just kind of a fun moment where, you know, this custom sofa came to life. So yeah. I think there's lots of ways around it, but I think it's case by case, right? And at the end of the day, if it feels like it's been out there, it's probably been out there too much to publish. So you'll, each interior designer or any, any brand listening will probably have to decide what that looks like for them. But, you know, just kind of finding that nice middle ground is going to be really important, I think. Yeah. All right, guys. So we are kind of hitting all these questions. So, I mean, is there anything else that you really want to make sure, Emma, that people know um, before we sign off today? And Caitlin, anything on your end? I would say that um, one thing that people or designers tend to, you know, not really understand, especially when they're earlier in their career, is the idea of having a project absolutely pristine and perfect. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to shoot a project, you know, the day after it's installed, you know, depending on the project, if it's, you know, like a really contemporary, modern, you know, kind of space that everything has to be really clean and pristine for it to work in photographs. But, you know, for us, especially at Frederick, we want to see houses that look like people live in them. We want houses to have personality. And in a lot of cases that might mean actually like, you know, letting your clients live in the house for a while and kind of, you know, bring their own things in and, you know, kind of layer in their own personalities and, you know, kind of family hand-me-downs and heirlooms and stuff like that. So, you know, a project, I I think a lot of times it's better if a project has more personality as -hmm. opposed to just being, you know, absolutely new and perfect and pristine. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another thing that I always really appreciate um, when I'm getting pictures from publicists is having some context behind a house. So, you know, we can have the most beautiful pictures, but you know, if there's an interesting story behind the house or there's something interesting about the owners or the designers or how this came together, you know, that can definitely make or break whether we publish a project because mm-hmm. you know, the photos are a lot of it, but they're also, you know, there are the words that is yeah. part of it. Part of I say story. that especially yes. as a writer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if there's a project that we really like and it turns out there's this like really cool story behind it, like that might make me want to write about it more. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think it's and really I mean that actually it brings up uh, one more question that I had. We were talking, Caitlin, you mentioned this earlier about, you know, contracts and having, you know, the homeowners make sure that they feel comfortable having this shot. 
My other question, so I mean, how obviously they need they need to be okay with that. So that's important. Everyone make sure that's part of your contract so that we can pitch yeah. it. Um, but secondly, I think Emma, how important is it to you that the homeowner is involved in the story? So I mean, we're talking about the personality behind the home. Like if it's if it's just if they're not comfortable being published or you know like speaking that to the fact that this is their home. If there's enough of a story there behind the designer's work, is that enough or is it, how important is that? Um, it really depends on the project. I mean, it's, it's always nice to be able to talk about the homeowner, but, you know, we also understand that a lot of homeowners aren't comfortable with kind of, you know, being in the public eye and, you know, it's, it's not really reasonable to always want to be able to feature the homeowner in a story. So, you know, if we can actually talk about the people who live there, it's helpful to at least be able to talk about, you know, generally like, you know, how many people live there, what they do, like the kind of basics, but also that makes it even more important for us to have, you know, more of an interesting story from the designer around building this project. So, you know, we don't, having the homeowner involved is definitely not a prerequisite, but it's nice when it happens. Yeah. Ali, to your point about sort of the contractual piece, I think this is something Francis Bailey and I hosted a workshop a bit ago and, this was something we really hammered through with our designers and to have a clause in your contract that allows you to photograph the yeah. project. Um, again, that's not always the case that we have a lot of very private people in the world, a lot of, you know, um, people that just don't want their home in, to the public eye. But I can't tell you how many times a designer did not have that clause in their contract and went to photograph and the homeowner did not allow it to happen. So, and just a little tidbit, sometimes, again, you know, I'm not a lawyer, do have your legal counsel, you know, help write up your contract, but we've found that having the language that says that you have permission to document your work versus, you know, talking about a photo shoot, which I think sometimes can be really overwhelming for the client to, mm -hmm. to comprehend, um, that tends to be really helpful. Um, so, please make sure designers that you have that in your contract. Um, I think my sort of last parting words would be, you know, again, I think pitching your work can be um, a very vulnerable act for, for many. I think you really have to kind of prepare to hear no. I really, I really do. You know, a yes is amazing. And it's always a really exciting moment. Um, but you have to prepare for the no and you have to realize that it's just an exercise, you know, you're, you're establishing relationships with someone like yourself, Emma, right? I mean, it is really just kind of a, a dialogue and who knows, you might pitch a project and, you know, it doesn't warrant a press piece and maybe six months down the road, you're on the cover, right? I mean, you really never know. There's so many variables that are out of, you know, that control. Uh, I think that, that's a good the puzzle, right? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think too, as a publicist, that's where I come in, like, we take that no, and then we figure out, you know, what can we do with this project? Is it a no across the board for every publication? Maybe it's not the right fit for that one, but it's the right fit here. Maybe we break it apart, you know, for one client, we might consider um, breaking a certain project apart so that, you know, there's like a strong room story here and a room story here so that we can reach different audiences and different outlets. So I think that's also, um, where it's helpful to work with a publicist, but even if you're not, to your point, Caitlin, I don't think you need to take the no as a negative. It's a bit of feedback. It's maybe it's not the right fit for that 
um, publication. There might be a fit at another publication or, you know, maybe it's just the next project that is the right one. So I think that's a really good point. It doesn't have to be, (laughs) you know, the end of everything. I think it's just, it's some feedback and it's something that you can kind of take and figure out the next steps for your business and for your, your growth plan. I mean, at the end of the day, all we're, I mean, Emma is here putting beauty onto the world, but what she's doing by publishing a project is helping people to learn about brands. And so what Caitlin and I are doing in our work is getting the word out, you know, about these businesses and these brands. And so it's about your business growth. And there's lots of ways to do that. You know, I think press is a big part of it, but there's lots of ways to grow your business. And so don't, yeah, don't take that no as kind of like, there's no future for the business. It's just feedback and there's strategy. And you go back to the drawing board and you figure out, you know, next steps for growing your business. Cause there's lots. And you're still, you're starting a conversation. Like you're building a relationship with whoever you're pitching. And, you know, even if it's not the right product for us now, like we know who you are. Um, Yes. It's just, it's always nice to kind of, you know, have a report with people, whether you're publishing them or not. Yeah, absolutely. I think the last little tidbit too would be use this moment as an opportunity to do like a quick audit of your brand and of, of your brand platforms. Right. So, you know, ideally you, you would have more eyeballs on something like your website, right? So do you have the correct office address on the footer of your website? I recently did this for someone and it was outdated by three years. Um, is your portraiture fresh? Um, you know, was your last Instagram post four months ago? Okay. We probably want to keep you current, right? So really use it as an opportunity to do a quick, you know, audit of your brand and and how you're interacting with the world. And I think that's something, Caitlin, you do. It's something I do almost immediately with every client when onboarding them is just, okay, if I'm about to put you out into the world or in front of an editor, let's just make sure that everything is kind of buttoned up. Um, So yeah, that's something that anyone can do though. I mean, it's something that we all look at very carefully, but it is really something that, you know, anyone can do before they even approach, you know, a, a consultant or a publicist to make sure everything's ready to go. So that's a really good point. Yeah, here's a, here's your reminder, everyone. Just <laughs> take this yeah. opportunity yeah. to go and, and do a little audit. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you guys so much. This has been so much fun. And I thank everyone for tuning in. And thank you guys for joining me. Thank you. So fun. Hi, thanks a lot. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you're interested in learning more, you can find Caitlin at citrusandcedars.com and on Instagram at citrusandcedars. Emma can be found at frederickmagazine.com and on Instagram at abazillion. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe so you can be the first to know when new episodes go live each month. You can learn more about Birdie Public Relations and our PR services at birdiepublicrelations.com and on Instagram at birdiepublicrelations. Thank you again.